Well, thank you for turning to James chapter 4, verse 11, please. James chapter 4, verse 11. We would want you to have a Bible, and we would want you to open your Bible. And so, please, bring them, please open them right now, and turn to James chapter 4, looking at verse 11. James 4, 11. The title of this morning's message is, Playing God. Playing God. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Let us read together God's word. As I read it out loud, you read it silently. This is, this is our bread. This is our life. This is what sustains us. James 4.11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges a brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your grace, your power, your word to proceed forth from my lips the way you want it to proceed. And I pray for your spirit's conviction to proceed forth into our hearts, to convict us and how you want to convict us, that we might honor you and worship you and stop trying to play you. Oh God, Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. The most famous feud in all of American history would be the feud between the Hatfields and McCoys. Now, maybe you're too young, or maybe your culture is not the American culture. If so, let me just tell you, the Hatfields and the McCoys, for those of us that are a little older, would be synonymous with two families separated by evil speech, separated by sinful judgments, exercising vicious vendettas against each other. This feud began right after the Civil War, and it took place between West Virginia's Hatfield family and Kentucky's McCoy family. The Hatfields, who were a little more prosperous and very pro-Confederate, the southern states, disdained the McCoys, who were more average, lower income. They disdained the, the McCoys' support of the Union, the northern states. As a matter of fact, after the Civil War, rumor is that the Hatfields murdered one of the McCoys who had served as an officer in the Union or Northern Army. This conflict, fueled by evil words and sinful critical judgments, reached a crescendo on what is now known as New Year's Night Massacre. In 1888, a group of Hatfields snuck up on the McCoy cabin in the middle of the night and opened fire. They killed two children, severely beating their mother. And after doing that, they burned the house down. Folks, today's message is about evil speech 
and critical judgments that burn down the house of unity that the gospel that Jesus builds. It's about evil speech, speaking against one another, and sinful, critical judgments that burn down the house that the gospel builds, the house of unity in Christ. It burned down the house, and it was burning down the house that God was building in the first century. The, the fires of, of, of speaking against one another, the fires of critical judgment was, were burning down the house of the first century church. We read in James where, in previous chapters, there was selfish ambition. We read in James where people were speaking against each other, where they were blessing God and then immediately cursing their neighbor. We read in James where they were, they were murdering one another with their words. So the fire of evil speech and critical judgment was burning the house that the gospel built. And that fire has continued, sadly, fueled by hell itself over the last 2,000 years. And today, those fires of the evil speech that comes out of our mouth and of the critical judgments that you emit from our hearts, those fires burn the house of the gospel in our homes. And maybe some of you have experienced the fires that are destroying the unity in your house. Amongst you as a married couple, between you and your children, maybe you're experiencing those fires burning the unity of what the gospel wants to create here. God this morning gives us clear direction. He says that the fuel for the fire of evil speech and critical judgment is this. The fuel of that fire is an ancient fuel. It's the first fossil fuel. And here it is. You and I want to play God rather than worship God. Look again at verse 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So suddenly, you speaking evil, critically judging someone else, now becomes much more serious because you're no longer judging that person and speaking evil against that person. It says here in verse 11, you're speaking evil against the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And here's the answer. You think you're God. Because there's only one lawgiver and judge. So if you begin to judge and speak evilly against your brother, you're putting yourself in the seat of the judge of the law. You're no longer fulfilling it. Probably what James had in mind here was the great law that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're no longer fulfilling it. You're sitting in judgment on it. And then James says, here's the problem. There's only one that does that. He's the one that gave the law. He's the one that can save and destroy. You can't do either of those. 
So who are you to judge your neighbor? And the answer, the assumed answer is, you think you're God. So the fuel that fuels the fires of my evil speech against my brother, my critical judgment against my brother, the fuel of that fire is that I want to play God. And so therefore, dear friends, God, through James this morning, is telling us something very, very clearly. Stop playing God and start worshiping God. Stop playing God and stop and start worshiping God. Here's the deal. When you put yourself above your brother, that's the first step to putting yourself above the law. And when you put yourself above the law, judging over it, not doing it, then the ultimate sin, the ultimate crime that you are guilty of, that I am guilty of, we are putting ourselves above God. So we're saying, you know, God, I want to be you. I really am not interested in worshiping you. I'm in charge here. And the way we see it is by the amount of evil speech and critical judgment that proceeds from our mouth. So, oh, friends, hear God say, stop playing God. Turn off the fuel that fuels the fires of the very evil speech and critical judgments that burn down the house that the gospel built. Friends, evil speech and critical judgments separate. The gospel unites. The gospel is worship God. And that's what God calls us to do. But first, point one in your notes, we've got to stop playing God. We've got to stop playing God. We must. We must. When, when we speak evil against one another, as it says in the notes, when we judge one another, you are no longer keeping the law but sitting in judgment of the law. You are playing God rather than worshiping God. Oh, dear friends, that must stop. So, to stop playing God, we start here. Stop speaking evil of one another. What does that mean? What does that mean when it says, don't speak evil against one another in verse 11a? Well, it's important that we understand the precise wording here. Some of you may have a New American Standard Bible. Some of you may have an NIV Bible. Uh, I believe the NIV uses the word slander there, if I'm not mistaken. But that Greek word actually has a range of meaning that really means this. Don't speak down to one another, brothers, or as the ESV translates it, do not speak against one another, brethren. Now, slander, as you probably are thinking, is speaking something that's not true about somebody. You slander them. That's included in this prohibition. But, oh, friend, what's also included in this prohibition is speaking anything, whether true or false, that runs down another person, that puts down another person. See, don't you see? When, we, when we're confronted with someone that disagrees with us, when we're confronted with an opponent, when we're confronted with a, a child that's not celebrating our insights into their lives, when we're confronted with a spouse that's not doing or thinking or saying what we want them to do or leading us the way we want them to lead us or submitting to us the way we want them to submit to us, we are then tempted immediately to put them down, to kind of get up over them in our speech. That's what this is talking about. Now, it can manifest itself in many different ways. We could talk behind their back. If you only knew what my husband does not do, I can't believe this guy. Or, and really, this, I think we do this in this church, you know, 
maybe in our culture, we just tell them right to their face. Out loud and proud, baby. Come here. I want to be real with you. And then we light the match and we burn down the building of the gospel's unity in our marriage. And we walk away thinking, well, I was just being real. Yes, you were. You were being a real good arsonist. Excellent. I smell someone being real. Oh, look at that fire. Or <laughs> the, the, the mode, the preferred mode today, we just fire up the internet, man. And we just let them, we just let them go on Facebook, Twitter. We just fry up a few people that we just disagree with. Um, the Bible talks about this in another place. We're not going to go there, but I'm going to use it as an illustration. We bite and devour one another. Now, I have a history with dogs. You may not know this, but uh, dogs and I, we, we go back a long way. And, 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 and in our neighborhood, actually, we take these long walks. There's like two or three homes where when you kind of go by that home, if that dog is outside, and particularly like two days ago, is not on a leash... That dog is going to move very quickly towards you, barking very loudly. And, the, and, and here's what they're saying. Back off of my property or I will bite you. I will bite you. I will bite you. And you know, we're a lot like these dogs. Back off of my property or I'm going to bite you. Agree with me or I'm biting you. Do what I want you to do. I'm going to bite you. And friends, we spend our life biting and being bitten. Titus, which we looked at last week, says, hating and being hated. Lighting this match of evil speech. And James says, stop it. Stop it. Stop it because it's not gospel action. It is not the action of someone who has been bought by the blood of Jesus. It's not the action of someone who has experienced not God's bite, not God's wrath, not God's judgment, but God's mercy. Thus, it is not godly wisdom. And it betrays the fact that what we're doing is we're putting ourselves above others. That's the first step to putting ourselves above the law, which ultimately the ultimate sin, the, the, the capital offense here is that we put ourselves above God. And it's an ancient temptation. If you're new, you may not know this, but, but the first sin was this. I don't want to worship God. I want to be God. It's in the third chapter of the book. And it's remained today. That's why, guys, the first three of the Ten Commandments talk about idolatry. Some of you may think, well, that doesn't relate to us. I'm not bowing down to any totem poles. I'm not burning incense to any god. I'm not sacrificing my son to the god of Moloch. I'm not having Baal's name on my, on my tongue as in the Old Testament. Oh, you're missing it, friend. But are you speaking evil about someone? You're every bit the idolater that those people are. 
They're just less sophisticated than you are. They're less sophisticated than you are. Verse 12. Not only are we prohibited, prohibited from speaking evil against one another, but speaking evil against one another's cousin is judging one another. I guarantee you that if you're going to speak evil against somebody, you are going to judge them. It's just going to happen. That's just the way it is. You are going to judge them. And this is the one I really want to linger on just a bit. Just a bit. You'll see there in verse 11b, the one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother. See that? Second part of uh, verse 11. Speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So the clear answer is, don't judge your neighbor. That's what he's saying here. So this, this prohibition against judging your neighbor, I want to I I really look at what does that mean. And to that end, illustrations are often very, very helpful to see what it means to judge your neighbor. I'd like to use an illustration that a man by the name of Ken Sandy uses. Ken Sandy. And he is the president of Peacemaker Ministries. Peacemaker. All right? Making peace. Peacemaker. And you can Google them. I would encourage you to go on their website. It's tremendous material. And Ken, who's the president of Peacemaker Ministries, gave a message entitled, Charitable Judgments, an Antidote to Judging Others. Charitable Judgments an antidote to judging others. And in this message, which I am borrowing from here in the section on judgment, he gives the following illustration of what we're talking about by critically judging others. Quoting now. I knew he was too proud to take criticism, thought Anne, and now I have proof. On the previous Sunday, Anne had dropped a prayer card in the offering plate asking her pastor to stop in and pray for her when she went to the hospital for some minor surgery. When he failed to come by, she called the church secretary and learned that her pastor had actually been in the hospital on the day of her minor surgery. So he has no excuse, she thought. He was in the building and knew I needed his support, but he still ignored me. He resented me ever since I told him his sermons lacked practical application. Now he's getting back at me by ignoring my spiritual needs, and he calls himself a shepherd? After brooding over this rejection for three days, Anne sat down on Saturday evening and wrote a letter confronting her pastor about his pride, defensiveness, and hypocrisy. As she sealed the envelope, she could not help thinking about the conviction he would feel when he opened his mail. The moment she walked into church the next morning, one of the deacons hurried over to her. Anne, Anne, I need to apologize to you. I took the prayer cards out of the offering plates last week, but I accidentally left your card with some of the pledge cards. I didn't notice my mistake until last night when I was totaling the pledges. I am so sorry I didn't get your request to the pastor. Before Anne could reply to the deacon, her pastor approached her with a warm smile. Anne, I was thinking about your comment about practical application as I finished my sermon yesterday. I sure hope you noticed the difference in today's message. Anne was speechless. All she could think about was the letter she had just dropped in a mailbox three blocks from the church. 
You see, judging critically is pervasive. Judging critically is pervasive. It is the disease we all inherited from our father, Adam. When he chose to play God, rather than, uh, excuse me, yes, uh, worship God, that he immediately entered into the business of critically judging others. And since that day, we have been critically judging one another. For example, if someone delays in answering an email or fulfilling a commitment or a responsibility we've given them, we all too easily assume they're avoiding us, they're evading their commitment and responsibilities. How could they treat us that way? Could it be that they got sick? Maybe their internet's down. Maybe they were overwhelmed with responsibilities at work and simply couldn't get to it. If our children, oh, and this is the one, friends, I just am so sad to report to you, I am working through this one as currently as yesterday. If our children do not complete their chores, or if you have older children, if they just don't fulfill what you think they should be doing, don't agree with your insights into their lives, we conclude that they're being disobedient. Could it be that God is working on their life and we just need to be patient? Or if they're younger children, could it be that they're secretly wrapping a special present for Father's Day? Maybe they're going to get to that chore next. They're not being disobedient. Or maybe they've legitimately gotten distracted, particularly for real little ones, and forgotten, and you just need a gentle reminder. If someone at church seems unfriendly, just walking right by us, just not even greeting us, we assume they are proud or aloof. Could it be that they feel awkward and unsure of themselves and are hoping someone will reach out to them? There's a great story that Ken Sandy tells about this one lady who walked in the church and she sort of had this thing with this other lady and she felt the other lady was ignoring her. And right as she walked in the church, the lady that she felt was ignoring her walked out just like this. Didn't even say a word. I can't. She spent the whole sermon judging this woman in her heart. When she got up and was going to leave, this woman was talking to another woman, and she overheard her. She goes, she goes, I can't believe it. As soon as I got into church today, my nose started bleeding. So I had to run outside the church holding my head up so that my nose wouldn't bleed all over my... I didn't have a, a handkerchief. Extreme example. But don't we do that? Don't we do that? Don't we do that? And so what does God say to us here? God says to us, don't judge. Now, to help us not judge, may I introduce three possible categories or three ways you judge? And this might be something you might want to jot down underneath that bullet point under point one. Don't judge one another. There's nothing magical about this. These would be categories that Ken Sandy has taught us so well in through the Peacemaker Ministries. I've renamed him a little bit, but... The first way that you might judge, I might judge others, is what I call fault finding. Fault finding. When it says don't judge, let's be specific. Identify how we might judge. Fault finding. Here's what fault finding is. Fault finding is because we think we're God and we know what someone is like or what they need, we selectively look at them and we are much more aware of their faults rather than their qualities. We're much more aware of their faults rather than their qualities. 
So everything we see, all the data we get, we immediately interpret it through our grid because we think we're God. And we immediately see the faults rather than the qualities. We see the faults rather than the qualities. So here's a question for application for you. Ask this to those around you. Are you more aware? Are you more aware of how I view your qualities? Or are you more aware of how I view your faults? Ask your children, ask your spouse. Is what, come out of your, what comes out of your mouth, put a percentage on it. More, you know what, these are your faults. Can you just kind of get, you know, just define people by their faults or define people by their qualities. There's another way you can ask this. Are you more aware of the evidences of grace, what God is working in that person, or of their deficiencies or sin? Which one jumps out at you? If it's the sin and the faults, may I suggest that you're playing God rather than worshiping him? Second way we critically judge others. I just put these two words. Think the worst. Think the worst. Think the worst. I thought this illustration, again, that Sandy provides us is wonderful. I think it sums it up. Basically, what this illustration does is it it really shows us when we get some incomplete data and we fill in the blanks, do we fill in the blanks to give that person the benefit of the doubt and think the best, or do we fill in the blanks to to think the worst? Here's the illustration. One day in a small church, they had invited a guest preacher. This preacher arrived early and sat in his car writing additional thoughts in his notes of the sermon he was about to preach. Periodically, he put his short white pencil in his mouth so he could free his hands to turn to a verse in the Bible. A deacon pulls up beside him, watched him for a moment, and then went inside. When the guest preacher walked into the church a few minutes later, he sensed antagonism from the entire group of deacons. He asked if he had done something wrong. The head deacon said, Sir, we find it very offensive that you would sit in our church parking lot smoking a cigarette, especially when you were about to preach God's word from our pulpit. You can imagine the deacon's embarrassment when the man pulled the pencil from his pocket and explained he had only been working on his sermon. Again, how many times have I thought the worst when seeing one of my children do something and not knowing exactly what they were doing? But here's the worst one, number three. If the first one is fault-finding, the second one is thinking worse, the third one is this, judging motives. Judging motives. I judge motives. Friend, the Bible is clear. Only God can see into a man's heart. The moment you judge someone's motive, you are playing God. Can you ask what their motive was? Of course. If they tell you what their motive was, can you know what their motive was? Sure, to the extent that they actually accurately understand their motives. But but absent clear, absolutely clear data, and it's rare when it's absolutely clear, okay? Without, uh, you know, no burden of, uh, it has to be clear. And absent them telling you what their motive is, when we engage in judging others' motives, we are playing God. We're playing God. We're playing God. 
And he says, stop it. He says, stop it. We're elbowing him out of the way. We're elbowing him out of the way. Now, all three of these things, as well as speaking evil, all of them burn down the house that the gospel builds. Burns down the house that the gospel builds. And the fuel is that we're playing God. And in a moment, we're going to transition into worshiping God rather than playing God. But I want to linger here one more moment. And here's what I want to do. I want to tease out the sub-reasons. We know that the main reason we do this is we're playing God. But the sub-points of why we critically judge. So, I want to jot these down as well. These are just some suggestions. God will speak to you. (laughs) Clearly. Why you're judging critically. By the way, before I get into these, I think there's going to be four, five. Um, Just one more illustration for you here. These things that we're talking about act like spiritual cholesterol in the arteries of our soul. They slow the flow of grace and ultimately can lead to a heart attack, which cripples the body or, in an extreme case, takes the life of the body. I don't have a sense that this stuff is happening in our church. But as I was preparing this, you know what I thought? It's crippling the body of unity that the gospel, Jesus, won, I think, in your families. Husband, wife, children, maybe at work, Maybe here, I don't think it's pervasive, but it could be happening, I'm not aware of. But it just slows down the flow of God's grace. Okay? All right. So five sub-roots to the main root of wanting to play God that, that lead to judgmentalism. And I would say lead to evil speech as well. These are cousins, evil speech and judgment. They're, they're cousins. Number one, selfishness. 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 Do you remember what James said in just the previous verses, chapter 4, verses 1 to 10? He said that you get in quarrels and fights. Why? Because you don't get what you want. James 4, 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not your passions, that Greek word hedonase, your pleasures, your desires, what you want? And so selfishness can be a root or a sub-root to these critical thoughts, these critical words, these, this, this evil speech. You are going to move anybody that stands in your way. You're going to move them off. You're going to get them to back off. You're going to remove their opposition. And the way you do it is you just jabber and bite and consume them with your words. You run them down. You, 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 you argue with them. And you just keep arguing. And you won't stop. You're like that bulldog. The reason it's called a bulldog is because the little dog latches onto the bull and won't let go until he brings the bull down. He's a bulldog. There's aspects of that that are good. There's a lot of aspects of that are not. He just won't let it go. And so people just get tired. They just walk away. And it it burns the unity. Your selfishness. You want what you want. You want it now. And you're willing to go to war for it. Number two, pride. 
Oh my. If the primary sin in the Bible is pride, if Satan himself, who was Lucifer, who was the prince of the angels, he was the worship leader in heaven, he was the most beautiful one, and he said, you know what, I don't want to worship you, I want my own kingdom, a third of the angels went with him. If Adam and Eve were tempted and they fell when they, when they were tempted with be God, don't worship him, then pride, pride, pride. We just think we're right, by golly. <laughs> Whether politically, spiritually, culturally, linguistically. I mean, man, our pride knows no limit. It's how you put your shoes on, what shoes you buy, what's your hairstyle, what's your favorite team. Yeah, I just don't understand it, how people can't understand that the Gators are the best. I deserve that. I deserve that. But you know, you know we laugh about it, and... and my buddy, Jose, and I, we, we are passionate men, okay? And we've joked about this. You know, it is God's miracle that a diehard cane and a diehard gator can spend a week together in a planning retreat <laughs> and come out loving each other. But I, I know with me that there are times my pride just gets revealed and how much I care about that stuff. How passionate I get about it. What's even worse is when I interact with somebody and I think that my doctrine, my insight, my opinion, the way I think things are is superior to theirs. What I don't understand, it's not just about who wins the argument. I've lost the argument at the inception. When I put myself above them, I am actually putting myself, thank you, Lord, for this scripture, above the law. And when I put myself above the law, I'm actually putting myself above God. So you're so right, you're wrong. The worst thing for you is that you win all your arguments. You ought to really be nervous if that's going on. If you always get your way and always win your arguments, that's not a good place. Because you can subtly start believing that you really are right. You really are right all the time. Next, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. So the first one is selfishness. The second one is pride. The third one is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is simply trying to take what I do, my good works, to gain approval from God. I'm smuggling in my good works to the good works that Jesus has done for me. And the Bible is clear. My good works are as filthy rags. They are useless in gaining approval from God because they're marked by sin and he's perfect. So if I'm a self-righteous person... Okay, I'm doing that. It's a gospel deficiency. I'm not understanding the exchange that's taken place on the cross. So if I'm self-righteousness, then I'm going to have critical judgments and I'm going to have evil speech. Evil speech. See, a self-righteous person, when he comes into the room, sees everything that everyone's doing wrong in a flash. It's sad. And often they miss what they're doing right. So do you interact with others looking to catch them doing something wrong to confirm your judgment of them? Or do you interact with folks looking to catch them doing things that are right, believing that God's working in them, the true God? Or do you think that the mini-God, little mini-me God, you, needs to work in them with your opinions, your scriptures, your counsel, your prayer, your correction. 
Self-righteousness. Number four, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Oh, friend, if you have been hurt and legitimately sinned against but have not forgiven, A, that is a sin, and B, you will look for a way to justify your unforgiveness, and what you'll do is you'll find faults. You'll find faults with your husband. You'll find faults with your wife. You'll find faults with your children. And what is coming from the heart there, yes, it is trying to play God, but the, the, the mini root there is your unforgiveness, which is tied in with your self-righteousness because you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand that you've been forgiven much. Therefore, God tells you to forgive much. And finally, prejudice. Oh, friends, prejudice, prejudice. We judge others by the color of their skin, by the cover of the book, by, by whatever language they're speaking, whatever culture, and we speak down of them. If you are guilty of that, oh, repent. If you're out of your mouth comes things against people because of the color of their skin or their culture or their language, oh, friend, you are playing God in a big way. So what's the solution? Unless God, unless God does major surgery in our hearts, we will not change. But he has done major surgery in our hearts, and he's done that major, major surgery in our hearts through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. Here's the solution. Point two, start worshiping God. You know how you start worshiping God? You start worshiping God by acknowledging two things about God. There in your notes, there's only one lawgiver and judge. And there's only one who can save and destroy. Notice they go together. They go together. It's two things. They're just complex. Lawgiver and judge. The only guy that can judge is the one that gave the law. That's not you. It's not me. Able to save and destroy. The only one that can ultimately destroy. You want some fire? He will bring fire. The fires of his wrath will come one day. They will come. Bible says that's how this old earth will be consumed. The Bible says those fires will never go out. But you are not allowed to burn any little fires until that day. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not Alpino's. And when Alpino chooses to have vengeance, like the Hatfields and McCoys and Vendettas, then Alpino's playing God. Only one can save and destroy. So who are you, Al, to judge your brother? Ah, that's a great question. That's a great diet. I am, I think I'm God. Oh, forgive me, Lord. Oh, forgive me, Lord. Oh, forgive me, Lord. Oh, forgive me for putting myself over the very law and judging the very law that I should be obeying. Instead of obeying it, I abrogate it. I say, you know what? That law doesn't apply to me right now. What law, you ask? You know it. They asked Jesus. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So that's the first problem I have. I'm not doing that. I'm loving me more than God. And love your neighbor as yourself. So instead of coming underneath that law and obeying it, I'm putting myself over that law, and I know I'm doing it when I, when I yell at the TV. I'm serious. At somebody. See, God is good. He, he, he reveals the hiddenness of sin because sin is so deceptive by these little deals here. When I critically judge someone, my wife, my children. I must repent. I must acknowledge. I'm not the ultimate lawgiver. I'm not the ultimate judge. My opinions are not the ultimate truth. No one will stand before me on the judgment day. So why am I demanding that they stand before me now to justify themselves? 
See, justice was served on the cross in Christ. So why do I demand justice today? Why do I have to be vindicated? Even if I'm right. Why? Because I'm playing God. That's why. Let it go, Al. Acknowledge God as the one who will dispense final judgment, not you. Look to the cross where justice was served in Christ and be merciful because mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy, mercy, mercy is the water that puts out the fires that evil speech and, and critical judgment set. Mercy is cool and refreshing. It brings unity. May we be knowledgeable of our receipt of mercy and may we dispense it rather than judgment. And may we fear God as the only one who can save and destroy. God alone can save and destroy, not you. Fear God and see yourself as the greatest sinner and not the self-righteous judge of all. Thank God that he's had mercy on your soul, that he did not destroy you as you deserved and now seek to be an instrument of mercy and grace in his hands. Let him blow out the plaque buildup of the cholesterol of your self-righteous judgments with the gospel. With the gospel. Every day, preach it to yourself. Thank God that he's had mercy on you. And as you do this, it will result in unity in your family. And I believe that's the main application here today. Maybe unity with your roommates. Certainly in this church. And I believe even in the city and the, and the nation. When it goes well with the righteous, the nation is blessed. Where are the righteous to say stop the madness of destroying people on the blogs? Where are the righteous to say stop the madness of critical judgment and evil speech? See, what unifies us is our love for God, our acknowledgement daily that he alone is the lawgiver and judge. He alone can save and destroy. The gospel is what unifies us, friends. Evil speech against one another and critical judgments separates us. Remember the Hatfields and McCoys? Well, after a few years, actually many, many years, they finally got together. Did you know that in the year 2000, year 2000, it's amazing, 100 years later, more than 100 years later, they finally had a family reunion between the Hatfields and the McCoys. They met and embraced on a bridge in Pikeville, Kentucky. And since then, they've maintained, in fact, even as a joke, they were on the game show, everybody knows it, family. <laughs> they were. The Hatfields and the McCoys. Only they weren't shooting at each other and trying to kill each other. Who are you feuding with? Where is your blasphemous capital offense of playing God most revealed? Who are you judging critically? Who are you self-righteously judging? Who are you not forgiving? Are you prejudiced and racist against a certain group which comes out of your mouth in critical judgments and generalizations? Friend, run to the cross. Run to Jesus. Run to the one who poured out vengeance and judgment on Christ so that we might receive mercy. Bask in the gospel that unites us. Reject and stop the blasphemous God playing that separates us. Worship God, my friends. Worship God to that end to help us remember we're going to receive communion. I'd like the ushers to please serve us.
And I'd like the rest of us to prepare our hearts for communion by suggesting something to you. May I ask you to simply quietly listen at this point. I realize there's a lot of movement, but I don't want you to be distracted right now because I believe God wants to talk to you. Here's what I'd like to suggest, dear friends. That God, God wants to do business with you right now. And here's the business he wants to do. He would want you to repent of where you have played God, where you have played God as it's been revealed in your evil speaking against putting others down and critically judging others. And he would want you right now to take a moment and think who that person might be. If you're like me, I'm a multiple offender. So I've got several. And I think he would want you right now as you prepare your heart for communion to ask him to forgive you. And he may want you today, before the day is over, to call them, write them a letter, send them an email. If they're in your home, which I suspect a lot of these are going to be right in your home, pull them aside. And with tears in your eyes, this is what you repent of. Would you forgive me of playing God in your life and not worshiping God? And here's how I did it. And get on your face. Look, you could even be right about your discernment of them, but you're wrong if you do it speaking down or critically judging. Ushers, please come forward. Friends, as we indicated just a moment ago, that justice was served on the cross. This morning, as we receive communion, the body and blood of Christ symbolized by this bread and this juice, what we're saying is this. Jesus was broken and judged for you and for me. Justice was served. Therefore, I no longer need to demand it. I don't have to be right. Because he made me right with himself. What I have to do is acknowledge where I've wanted to play him. So as you receive this communion, friend, know this. When we get it right, that is when we stop playing God and start worshiping him, we look forward to the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. We can stop hating and being hated. We can start living in the good of being united in Christ under his blood, being united together as one people, God's people. After all... That's our eternal destiny, isn't it? And this is what unites us. We're the body of Christ. Let's put out the fires that disunites us and worship God who unites us. I'm going to pray. And after I pray, these ushers are going to serve us. We're going to sing a song while they're serving us. After everyone's been served, I'll come up. We'll receive it together. Uh, If you're not a believer, I would just appeal to you not to receive communion. For this is for believers who have trusted Christ as their Savior. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness this morning. And Lord, Father, I want to thank you that you judged Jesus for my sin. And you gave me the blessing and favor for his righteousness. And I just want to say, Father, Daddy, forgive me when when I forget that. 
and I sinfully judge others and fail to, to, to dispense the mercy that I've been given. And forgive me, oh God, for trying to plague you and, and blasphemously speaking forth what I think are your words. Oh, Father, forgive me. Thank you that you forgive me. Thank you for this reminder that it's because Jesus was judged that I can be blessed and vindicated, not on my righteousness, but his. And so we just want to say thanks as a church as we receive the sacrifice. Amen. Ushers, please serve us. Worship team, please lead us. As soon as everyone's been served, I'll come back to lead us in receiving the elements. about the person or persons that you need to repent to have you repented to the Lord just want to take a moment don't want to don't want to move too quickly because we're about to take the sacrifice that brings down all these walls and barriers that forgives us for wanting to play God enables us to worship God it enables us to have this fellowship so sweet I look around here my friends just was looking at Miguel as we were you know checking each other alright the usher's done and you know just every time we do this there's always a coordination there that needs to take place just the affection in my heart for this man how he led us so wonderfully this morning and the exhortation and this from a guy that's under tremendous pressure at work right now you wouldn't know it He's, he's joyful. And just how much I love this guy. And apart from Christ, because I play God apart from Christ, that love wouldn't be there. That affection wouldn't be there. And I was just saying, Lord, thank you I can experience something of the unity that, Father, you experience with the Son and Son with the Spirit. The unity of the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's what we're to exhibit and live in. And we will if we stop playing God and worshiping Him. Take and eat the body of Christ broken for you. Take and drink the blood of Christ shed for your sins. Lord, thank you that we were once separated by walls of sin, hating and being hated ruled by our pride within, but Lord, you took upon yourself the guilt of every heart. Let us remember that every day as we worship you and stop trying to play you. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing this song as a prayer, as a hope, as a joy. If God is still working on your heart to repent, don't leave here without either one determining you're going to do it, or maybe even two, at some point, go to somebody. Maybe it's not appropriate, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but don't let today, don't let the sun go down today without doing this. Let's sing together.